Welcome to Live Truth Podcast, a podcast geared towards helping women to know Jesus, love Jesus, and live truth boldly, which should in turn cause us to glorify God with our lives, think biblically, and be compelled to make disciples. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to episode eight of Live Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Katrika. Thank y'all so much for joining me again. Welcome to new listeners. Hope y'all had a blessed, blessed, blessed Thanksgiving. Today, we will be hearing from our dear sister, Erin Coates, on church, government, and persecution. Earlier this year, Erin's husband, Pastor James Coates of Canada, uh, Grace Life Church Canada, um, was arrested for obeying Jesus and keeping their church open and not complying to the 15% capacity for the church. And so today you'll hear their testimony on that and how, you know, they were able to see the Lord working even in the midst of persecution and all of the um, negativity and just suffering that they had to endure. And I just think that Aaron displayed by God's grace, you know, just exemplified, um, God's love and mercy and grace and compassion throughout all as I, you know, even read a lot of her uh, comments to negative um, feedback on social media, just how she handled it all in such grace and love. And and she's just a sweet, precious sister that I highly admire and respect. And so I pray that you guys enjoy this episode with Erin Coates and I. All righty, here we go. All right. Thank you so much for coming on with me today, Erin. How you doing? I am very well. Thank you so much for asking me. Of course, of course. So if you will, please tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what you do and how you come to know the Lord. Sure. Uh, that That's a really uh, long one. So I'll try to get, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, how much time do you have? I'm good. I am a, a, first of all, I'm a slave of Christ. Um, and I was saved by him when I was, I think, 23 years old. So a little bit later in my life, um, I am married to James Coates. Uh, he is the teaching pastor, lead pastor at Grace Life Church in Edmonton. Uh, we have two boys. Isaac is 18 and Caleb is 12. And we've tried to have more babies, but the Lord just has not allowed us to have any more. So we cherish the little family that we have. Um, and then when I'm not doing what I love the most, which is caring for my home, caring for my husband and my children, uh, I am the women's ministry director at our church as well. And really just have a heart to see women thriving in the word of God and loving Christ and um, figuring out how to live life in the days that we're living in and bringing him so much glory and keeping the gospel at the forefront. So uh, it's been really exciting to see women really just dive into the scriptures and and a lot of them are studying the word for the first time. So to be a part of that uh, is a pretty special thing. Uh, I love my church. I love my family. Um, so that pretty much sums up, I guess, who I am, <laughs> um, and how I was saved. And, and I will give you the abbreviated version of that. Uh, I grew up in a nominal Christian home and, uh, not a very strong church and a professing, a professing church, professing home. Um, I saw a lot of hypocrisy in my home as a child and I was an athlete. I was a gymnast, um, for 15 years. And that was really the love of my heart. It was the idol of my life. 
Um, I wanted to win competitions and I wanted to do really well. And so that was what I devoted all of my time to. I was always in the gym, always training, always trying to get better at what I was doing. And I didn't really have anything outside of my life, but the gym and my, and my gymnastics friends. But when I was, um, no, I didn't do gymnastics for, for 15 years. I, I trained until I was 15. I started when I was three. So that's about 12 years. Uh, but when I was 15, I quit gymnastics because it was really starting to affect my joints, my back. Um, and there was some political kind of things happening within the club that I was in as well. And so I thought, I'm, I'm done with this. I had just gotten into high school. And um, so because that was so much a part of my life and such an idol in my heart, I didn't really know who I was when I quit gymnastics. I was always the short, curly-haired girl who was a gymnast. Um, <laughs> that was my title. That was my identity. And so I didn't really know what to do after that. And then I just didn't have a lot of direction in my life. Um, and so just started ex exploring different avenues of life and sinfulness. And, and I had met new friends in high school and they were all partying and experimenting with different things and really just fell very heavily into that lifestyle and, uh, lived that life for a really long time. Um, and then when I was about 21, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to put myself through business school and uh, started working at a nightclub at night so that I could pay to put myself through business school. And I ended up meeting a guy and uh, getting pregnant. And I, that was with my first son. And um, there, there's a whole big long story about him and uh, wrestling through, like, I, was, I was so scared to tell my family that I was pregnant because here I'm coming from this Christian home and here I have this visible representation of how I had been living my life, um, just a rebellious heart, selfish heart. And uh, for the first time had prayed um, that God would help me because I was, I was stuck. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Uh, and there was somebody in my life who was pressuring me to have an abortion. And I was walking to the abortion clinic and from like all normal circumstances, you would just think I'm a woman walking down the road right. because it was like just rows of houses. And I don't really know what was happening outside of my perspective. So this is just my, my perspective of what happened. Um, I'm walking on the road and all of a sudden I look up and there's this woman standing in front of me and she looks at me and I don't look pregnant at all. I like at all. I, I didn't start showing until I was like seven months. Mm -hmm. um, and she just looks at me and she says, you're not going to do this. I think you should turn around, get in your car and go home. And I thought, yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. And she, was, she was a picketer. And I, I didn't really know that she was a picketer at the time until she actually walked me back to my car and was being heavily attacked by the person that I was with and uh, just yelling at her, calling her names and um, so she put me in my car and she asked me to roll down my window. So I rolled down my window and she slid this little piece of paper through the window and it was verses on the importance of life. And so I ended up having my first son thought, you know, I'm really going to clean up my life. I thought I'm going to raise him in the church because I really want him to have this aspect in his life. Um, so that he can make the choice on his own. So totally misguided thinking, right? Like I'm not going to church. I'm convicted of my sin or anything. Uh, and I remembered when I was at church, like our, our pastor was talking about how they were taking the college kids down to see the passion of Christ. And I never really thought anything of it. And, uh, and then um, really 
started to fall back into a lifestyle that wasn't good. So I did clean up my life for a couple months um, and was doing fine there, but then started dating a guy and I ended up getting pregnant again. And I thought, I I can't do this. Like I cannot go through this again. And, uh, and then, so I ended up aborting that baby. And as soon, as soon as I had that abortion, I remember as soon as it was done, it took seconds um, for me to be convicted that I had just done something that I cannot take back. It was immediate. The conviction was heavy. It was crushing. Um, and I just remember sitting in the waiting room going like, what, what have I done? And like, this is, I can't take this back. And I fell into just a really deep depression, like not wanting to live, not knowing um, how I could get out from the guilt of knowing that I had just murdered my child. Uh, So that really affected me quite badly. And, uh, and so I was one night I had decided my cable wasn't hooked up yet. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go rent a movie. And, uh, and I walked in the movie store and it was like, like, this is like, I, I might be showing my age here, but the video store where you buy like. (laughs) and uh and there was this massive display of the passion of the christ so i didn't see anything else but this movie so i thought oh okay i've heard about this in church i'm gonna rent it and so i rented it and uh from the first scene in the garden i just lost it i there was a visible picture i know a lot of people struggle with the passion of the christ because they say that there's a lot of catholic overtones and stuff like that and mel gibson is is catholic and but i didn't see any of that mm-hmm. i saw christ being crucified and i'm thinking because of the knowledge that i have from growing up in the church that was the moment that i understood that jesus christ died for me and, mm-hmm. and so over, I went up and I looked at my son and I thought, what am I doing? Like, I can't live. I can't take care of him when I can't even take care of myself. And I didn't know the word forgiveness or repentance or anything like that. So I just went into my room and I told the Lord, I was sorry for everything I had ever done. And it was time for me to do things his way now. And that was the night uh, that I was saved. And there was a drastic uh, change in my life, but it really was, um, it was the knowledge of the abortion because I, I think I thought I was pre- a pretty good person. Like mm-hmm. I had different standards in my life. Like there were certain drugs that I wouldn't touch or um, just had these really wacky standards in my life. So I could always judge myself as better than the people around me. But when I did that, I knew it was wrong. And so my, not only did I know that I broke the law of God, I knew that I broke my own law. Cause that was, I said, it was something I would never do. Um, so that is really what brought me to saving faith in Christ was just realizing I am a massive sinner and I cannot escape. Like I'm going to be judged for this. And the Lord was so gracious. And, you know, to think that I'm a pastor's wife and, and in the church, like, like when people look at me they're they don't think I've lived this crazy, really immoral life and been through what I've been through. Like they think I'm the kind of person that's grown up in the church and, uh, and that is just a testimony to the power of God in the gospel and that he transforms a life so drastically by his spirit. So in a nutshell, that that is how the Lord saved me. It was probably about a year and a half later that I met James. The first time I ever saw him was his baptism because we did go to the same church. And I saw him up there and I thought, oh, that's the kind of man I want to marry. <laughs> 
because he was passionate and and he loved the Lord. And so I, we met about six months later and we've been inseparable ever since. And so I think uh, we, I think it's this month, it's, uh, I think it's 16 years we've been together. Yeah. Amen. That was such a beautiful testimony. So much good stuff in there. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, so with the abortion mill ministry, I had met um, a brother in the Lord on a couple of weeks ago because I, I'm doing a, an abortion um, episode and the ministry here that they have over there, God is truly blessed. And they've saved um, about, I want to say over 50 babies in the last year and a half, two years. I mean, so God is doing a great work and he is positioning people where they need to be, you know, and so that your life in itself and, you know, that the, the woman that God had placing your pathway is a great testament to that, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. I re I remember seeing um, a news article years ago of this woman who had been arrested in Toronto in front of the Morgan Toller clinic. And mm -hmm. I looked at her and I said, I think that's the woman who saved my son. And when you, you know, I, I always just encourage people if there's one woman listening to you, if there's just one mom that has ears to hear that life is so important. Cause I look at my son, he's 18 now and, uh, and he loves Christ. He's actively serving the church. Like he's impacting the kingdom. And, and I just, I think like if there's just one woman listening, like mm -hmm. it's so amazing. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And then the other thing that 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 spoke to me was, you know, um, something similar to my testimony. I had both of my oldest boys before I graduated high school and my second son. I was no doubt about to get an abortion, but I was hiding it from my mom and my mom was not with abortion, you know, and so praise the Lord for that. Um, and the, so the Lord used that to allow me to keep my son because I couldn't afford the abortion. And so in, in your mind, I always want to ask, like, because for me in that it was just, you know, I didn't understand the value of human life, you know, and I really was not even looking at it as murder because it was so common, you know. So where were your thoughts in that as far as, you know, um, the baby that you had in your room goes? Yeah, I, I think I, I did know it was murder. Um, now, my heart was so hard. Um, mm -hmm going in there, there was a veil and that, and that hardness was like, it was a hardening of my own heart by my, by my sin. And whether the Lord was involved in hardening my heart, I'll only know when I see him face to face, but my heart was so hard going in there because I knew it was murder. When I was 11 years old, I used to stand on the street corner with our church and picket pro-life okay. and, and against abortion. Um, but my heart was so hard that I wasn't quite grasping that concept until I did it. So I came out of that a different woman. Like I knew I had just ended the life of my child and I couldn't take that back. Now, when I got saved, my knowledge actually grew, like my understanding of what I did and, and, the, and the sanctity of life and the significance of motherhood and, and the beauty of like, even in my sin, I, this, this is a life, this is a child. So that grew. Um, and so I, I struggled a lot, uh, probably for the first two years that I was saved, just really feeling like this was a sin that God could not forgive me of, that he could forgive me for everything else, but this sin was just too bad and that I needed to add my tears to it. And so I probably cried every day, uh, 
first two years. And uh, my pastor, we didn't come from a very sound church, was preaching one day and he was preaching how, you know, you just kind of need to forgive yourself. And I remember driving uh, to my cousin's house with uh, my then boyfriend, now husband. uh, And I just remember saying to him, like, I can't forgive myself for this. And he looks at me and he he says, Aaron, are you above God? And I thought, like, what do you mean? And he goes, nowhere in scripture are we commanded to forgive ourselves, but we're to embrace the forgiveness that God has already extended to us through the full atoning work of Christ. Um, and, and I just thought, oh man, like I am trying to add to what Christ did by me feeling bad or my tears. So that was a moment in my life where I was freed from the guilt, from the shame, mm-hmm. um, obviously there's still regret in your heart. It's a scar you always carry with you. You don't end a life and you're fine with it for the rest of your life. But that guilt is taken because I know Christ has taken it. That condemnation is gone because he was condemned on my behalf. Um, So although I wish I never ended the life of my child, I recognize that the Lord brought my salvation out of that. Like he needed to show me just what I was capable of. And uh, that, that is something that I, need to cling to every day to realize like that's actually in my flesh, what I'm capable of doing. And if I don't cling to Christ and keep pursuing him through his word, I am capable of awful and wicked things. So he's just so gracious to, to bring you through that. And the gospel is so freeing. Um, yeah, I'm astonished every day that he would save a woman like me. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. And the transformation, like you said, the transformation is just, would have never even dreamed or imagined <laughs> you know? and just having a father like him like I was telling him a couple of weeks ago like Lord I wouldn't have even prayed known how to pray for you <laughs> you know um because he's just such a such a wonderful father such a wonderful father so um thank you so much for sharing your testimony and who you are um and I, I did see that you, you have a podcast coming out right Yes. Uh, so I have been a part of the Open Hearts in a Closed World Conference for the last two years. And Brooke Bartz, um, she is the one that has kind of headed up that whole thing. She's just asked me to speak. And then recently she came to me and said, hey, would you be willing to co-host a podcast with me? And I said, yes, but I really need it to kind of be like an overflow of the work that I'm doing with our women's ministry um, because first of all, I think women really need that. I need, I, like, everyone's like, well, we need to know how to deal with these times. And it's like, well, then you need to be in God's word. And yeah. the best way in God's word is if we start pulling apart books of the Bible. Uh, so we are going to be studying second Timothy, uh, on the podcast. And we do have list lessons that we've written for our women's ministry that are going to be available to the women who want to study the book a little bit more in depth, but yeah, that's an exciting new endeavor that we're taking on. So she's really steering that ship. I am just here for the ride. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I was like, yes, I'm ready to um listen in, tune in. So praise the Lord for that. And the um the open heart conference, I was listening to your um or watching your message. It was the Proverbs 31 woman. Honey, you still walk that thing down. Do you hear me? I'm like, yes, Lord. If y'all listen, if y'all um would like to, please go. It's open hearts on YouTube, right? Yeah. Open hearts on YouTube, Aaron Coates, Proverbs 31. It is so, 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 so good and so convicting. <laughs> so um, so yes, yeah, so um, so 
let's talk about um, everything that happened in what it was February, right? Yes, when James was arrested, yeah. Right, when Pastor James, your husband, was arrested um, for continuing to um, preach or proclaim Christ in church or having the church to stay open after um, Canada um, told you guys to close or yeah. or abide by a set of rules or orders. Yeah. So tell us about that, what that was like and well, what happened and what that was like. What did the experience, what was the experience like? Yeah, it really was a process uh, or a process. I don't know how you say it. <laughs> My husband says process. I say process. Um, it, I mean, like like everybody else, when the when COVID hit and the pandemic came, our church closed down because we didn't know is this really serious? Is this going to be killing people? Or there, is there going to be bodies in the streets? Like they told us. So we thought, you know, the most loving thing right now is to close down and and like not kill people. And, uh, and so we stayed closed. I think, I think that emergency order went in place. Oh, when was that March? I think it was March. And we stayed closed, I think until, uh, June when the emergency order came to an end. Um, and like, we were doing everything online. Like they weren't allowing anybody, but our like 10 people in the building, which was like our family, our two music people and our sound guy, uh, so was preaching live stream and that was really killing him. He, he just felt so lost, not having people to preach to and not talking to people after the sermon, like no one and others, like he would preach. And then he'd kind of like be depressed getting out of the pulpit. And then we would just leave. Like it's, it wasn't, it wasn't a blessing for anybody. Um, And so in the summertime, the restrictions, this is 2020, the restrictions started to lay off a little bit, but we were still only allowed to be at 30%, but we just opened and, and didn't really, I don't, we didn't really announce that we were going to be open. We we did to our people. Um, And so through the summer, our people started to trickle back in and, uh, and we, we really just, our guys wrestled with um, what is their responsibility before the Lord. And they started to figure out like, we're working with frontline workers. We're working with doctors. We, we have them in our congregation and we're starting to figure out things are not really adding up. Numbers are not um, adding up and, and people are not dying at the mass rates that, that they were telling us. And so, they decided, okay, we really need to figure out our ecclesiology. What is the teaching of the church? And so they wrestled with that and they opened the church back up and we, we gathered all through the summer. Um, we had a few, uh, government like visits and phone calls. They were trying to like checking on us, like, what are you doing? And, um, trying to put all these things in place, but we were, we were kind of like feeling a little uncomfortable. Like, why are they doing this? And, then things just started to really escalate. And we went back into an emergency order. I think it was the end of October, beginning of November, where they wanted the church completely closed down. And we thought we can't do that. Right. And, uh, so then um, we figure out, we figured out through this whole thing, Alberta Health Services pretty much owns everything in our, in our province. Um, so these are unelected people who ultimately have autonomy over our government and they're putting in legislation that hasn't gone through the democratic process and they're making all of these laws and they can do that because they've put this emergency order in place. Mm. So then they start showing up at our church with the RCMP, which is our Royal Mounted Canadian Police, and they are federally owned. So we have like federal is like our country and then we have provincial and then you have um, 
within the provincial, uh, with, with, within each province, you can either, either have RCMP or you can have city municipally owned uh, police services. And so the police services started showing up with uh, our Alberta Health Services and we call them AHS and they were coming into our gathering and were watching us from our balcony and taking notes and, um, and then they started like, initiating orders that we needed to close down the church. And they just started to get more and more aggressive. They took us to court. James uh, preached a pretty um, in-your-face sermon on December 20th, uh, which was called The Time Has Come, where he laid out our responsibility, like what is the church and what is government. And the, the media had been notified, whether it was by our community or whether it was by our government services, because our media is government-owned. Wow. And so media just started slamming us in the public sphere and harassing us being at our gathering taking pictures of family going into the church little kids like and just lying about us and and so this creates this whole like issue in our community in our city with our police and our government and uh but every time they issued an order, every time they tried to close down our church, we just kept gathering in obedience to Christ because we thought you know, you cannot be faithful, be a faithful Christian and not be going to church, listening to the preaching, uh, hearing the, the public reading of scripture, prayer, one another's communion, baptism. Like they didn't even want us singing. They said that's a high risk activity and that we, we're not to sing. And it's like, you, we can't sing to the Lord. And uh, so all of it was really just to bring us into compliance. So as they started to get more aggressive and more aggressive, they took us to court. We lost that court case. They ordered our church closed. Um, and then they finally arrested James on uh, February the 7th. And it was the first time he was arrested and it was in our church office. And, um, and that was kind of a catch and release. And they put him on an undertaking and the undertaking is kind of similar to bail conditions. And he refused to sign the undertaking. Um, he, he, because the, the undertaking condition was that you have to limit the gathering, no singing, no communion. Um, I can't sign that. And the police said, that's okay. You don't need to sign it. And, uh, and so the following Sunday, he preaches, uh, probably the big sermon that has gone out to the world uh, on February 14. Um, I can't remember what that one was called. It is uh, directing government to its duty was what it was. And uh, and then the police called him that day and said, uh, you know, we are placing you under arrest. Uh, tomorrow is a holiday. So like turn yourself in on Tuesday. And so James had talked to the officer and and said, you know, like, we have one minivan. Does my wife need to be driving me in? And, and he was like, no, you should be fine to drive yourself in. Like indicating to James that um, you'll probably be let go. And, but in my heart, I just kind of felt like I wasn't going to see him for a while after he walked out the door. And, uh, and so when he had gone, he stood in front of two justice of the peace. And again, they're trying to get him to abrogate his duties of being a pastor. Um, and so they, they said to him, like, we're, we're, we'll give you a bail condition. And the bail condition is, is that you follow the rules, um, you limit your gathering, or you are not allowed to step foot on Grace Life property. Right. And he I can't do that. I can't hand the church over to the government. Right. And uh, really just like stood in the gap 
of the government taking over Grace Life Church and dictating the terms of worship. And so because he couldn't sign that and it never in a million years occurred to the RCMP officer that James would not sign a bail condition like he's thinking all criminals sign their bail condition like nobody wants to go to jail. Mm -hmm. Just like I can't sign that. And so because he couldn't sign it, he ended up being a political prisoner. And there was so much funny business that had happened and has happened since to show us they really were targeting him. Um, This was all about compliance And they didn't really expect it to blow up the way that it did and for it to garner international attention. Um, And so I think there was a little bit of like humiliation towards our government in that. And uh, so they've been a little bit hands off this time around, but they're still there. They're still like on on the fringe and and are very aware that, that we're gathering and Um, so yeah, when that happened, I just like, it was hard, it was heartbreaking because here's my husband. He's, he's a faithful shepherd of the sheep. Um, and he's in jail for what, for opening the church. Like, have we really come to this place as a nation? And at that point we had not had one COVID case contracted or spread at Grace Life at all. Um, People who had cases, but were, but had contracted it outside Mm -hmm. of gathering and then stayed home. So it never, ever made its way into the gathering. And, uh, and so we just thought this is so crazy because, you know, we were doing our best to protect people. Like we had the vulnerable staying home and live streaming. We had the healthy gathering. We had a section that was closed off with plexiglass where people could reserve that spot if they needed, if they felt by their conscience that they had to mask and social distance, that was the area that they were in and they could get in and get out of the church without coming into contact with people. And so we were really doing our best to, to care for people. There's so much information about what COVID is that it just was, um, it just wasn't lining up with our experience at the church. Like we were gathering and no one's dying. Um, we did have one gentleman die um, in the summertime of 2020, but he did not die of COVID. He died because he couldn't get access to his cancer treatment um, because of COVID, like mm-hmm. what's happening in the hospitals. So it was, um, it was hard. It was hard when he went to prison to see, and the way they treated him was just so unjust. And um, so that was a hard, it was a really hard thing for me. And but quickly, my lawyer had contacted me, like our, our lawyer is a, is a good friend of ours. We've loved him. And he contacted me and said, Aaron, I want you to do this interview. We need to get this out in front. We need to get this story out to start putting pressure on our governing authorities because we are a democracy. Right. And, uh, so I said, okay. And, and so he was managing all of my media. I wasn't just doing all of the media requests and I wasn't touching mainstream media and they didn't want to touch me either. So um, I did this one interview and it was my very first interview and she was, she's a Christian. And she said to me, Aaron, the majority of my viewers are unbelievers. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this is my chance to share the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> so That was the moment where I realized all eyes are on Grace Life Church and she needs to be faithful with the gospel because nothing else matters right. we can get out there and we can fly our freedom flag but if it's not coming uh, at with the understanding of the gospel and hearts being regenerated, we're just we're just giving you a false freedom. And uh, 
And so that was the moment where I figured out, okay, this is my mission. My mission is to share Christ and, uh, and that he would just do whatever he needs to do to glorify his name. And the testimony of that has just been so encouraging to us. Like we have seen people come to faith in Christ. Um, we have seen people just, you know, do away with sin, like idle sin that they were kind of flirting with a little bit. People are more aggressively pursuing the Lord and reading his word. And like the testimonies are so encouraging. Uh, and, and that's really exciting. Like we've more than doubled as a church, um, which is hard. <laughs> like ideally, ideally you want the churches in the area to open their door and to continue to preach the word. Right. And, and these guys, some of these guys really are like preaching the word. It's not like they're apostate churches. Like we don't want the apostate churches opening their doors. You keep them close. That's good. Okay. These are faithful guys, right? And we're just like, guys, open your doors because mm-hmm. it's hard. We would rather people go back right. to their churches and be fed. But um, yeah, it just really, it really kicked up like international attention. And I think my interview on Tucker Carlson really put significant um pressure on our government after I did that, when that interview caught wave, like they were censoring it. They were, I was, I had a studio booked, uh, with the mainstream media outlet. And, uh, I went through like all of their COVID protocol and everything. And then they call Tucker's assistant and they said, you know what? Um, we reserve the right to deny any guests and we do not feel comfortable with your guests. And we were just like, okay, like, Okay. <laughs> they have been fighting dirty. <laughs> yes. And they were doing some pretty shady things too. Like we had found out um, after James had been in prison that like, like the officers were told to like put pressure on him, get him to sign, ask him mm-hmm. all the time. And then we started to figure out like he wasn't even receiving my letters in prison. So I would ask my friend, like you gave a letter today. And, and I gave a letter like a week ago and I would ask James, have you got this person's letter? And he's like, yeah, I've got their letter. And I'm like, why aren't you getting my letters? And then we figured out, oh, because uh, we know someone in the system. And they said, because everything they did to him was to break him. And uh, so they would keep him in his cell for like, there was one day he was in there for, I think 20, I think it was like 26 hours or something like that. And then they would only let him out for like short bursts of time. And he would be like maybe 11 to 15 minutes, which was, they're not allowed to do that. Um, yeah. And then just not being able to see him. So that was, oh, that was pretty rough. I'm sure. Oh my goodness. Well, praise God for his grace for seeing y'all through, you know, um, and it's just, it's, it's again, a great testament for how God is using persecution and all that we go through that may not feel so good to bring about his glory, salvations, you know, um, those repenting of their sins and taking a more aggressive approach and a more serious approach in their walk with Christ. And so we did, we can rejoice in all circumstances. We may not want to at the time, but we yeah. truly can, you know, we just look at the other side and continue to look at things from an eternal perspective, you know? So, amen. And so what, where are things right now with you guys? We're not really sure um, because we are back to the restrictions that we were under when James first went to jail. So they completely opened up the province on July 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we have a big rodeo that happens here uh, at the beginning of July every year. And this rodeo is massive for our economy. And so they opened everything up, no masking, no socially distancing, nothing. And, uh, but then they started to backtrack again. Uh, it was uh, the beginning of September. So we have been again under these restrictions and uh, the push to be, uh, this will probably knock your algorithms off. So I want to be careful with the words that I say, but uh, pressuring you to get jabbed, you know? And uh, so I, almost 80% of the population is, um, has that. And, uh, and they just keep pushing it. Like we have a passport in place now where you can't go into restaurants. Um, there are churches in Canada that are not allowing unjabbed people in their services. Um, it's just really, it's really sad. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. We're, we're a divided uh, nation. There's so much anger and oppression and um, yeah, you're definitely, and, and I'm like, I'm not here to tell you what to do with your life, but what I disagree with is people being pressured to do things against their, their conscience. So, um, what our church is facing right now is multiple people are facing job loss and they, there's a date on their, on their calendar for, um, when they will be asked to leave. And some of our people have already lost their jobs, um, just cause they're unwilling to compromise. So. Wow. Uh, need to keep keep you guys in prayer over there. Um it is just a lot of hypocrisy going on because it's like you you have to stand six feet apart while you're waiting to in line at the airport. And then when you get inside the plane, <laughs> you can take your mask off to eat and drink. And it's just like, y'all, come on, <laughs> you know. So but yeah, we'll most definitely keep you guys in prayer and this grace, God's grace continue to be upon you guys. And so how did that affect your children? Um, um, my kids surprisingly live a very normal life because our church lives a pretty normal life. But, um, obviously when their, their dad went to prison, that was a pretty big blow, especially for our oldest, because he really had a good, um, grasp on what was happening mm -hmm. and have an amazing relationship, even though he's his, his adopted father. Um, and, and so it really affected him, but he was recently interviewed on our friend's podcast and they, they had asked him like, what, what did you learn? And he said, I learned that life could change at any moment. Like I could go to work and die, or I could get in an accident. And so that moment for him was a moment where he realized like, oh, I can't be wasting time with my life because like anything could happen. And and the government could bring stronger measures and we could all go to jail. He's 18 now. You no, know, he could go to jail. And so he really, he took a stand and, and really took care of the home so that I could do the interviews and, and even take care of our church during that time. He stepped into his dad's role and did all the things that his dad would do around the home. And hey. so that was sweet, but it was, it was very hard for him. And then our youngest, um, he says he's recently told me mom, like, I, I think I got saved. And I said, when, and he said, when they put dad in prison and I went upstairs and I just prayed to God that, you know, um, I would be faithful to him and live for him. And so, you know, if his dad going to jail is the catalyst for his salvation, man, then yes. that is incredible. So, um, it did, it did affect him. Our church took such good care of us. The universal church took such good care of us. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so it's like the Lord's asking us to walk through something that's really difficult, but he's like, I'm going to give you all of these people to help carry you through. Um, so that was just amazing for us to see his body, um, come and rally together. I love to tell the story of Vodi Bakum went through all of his heart issues, mm-hmm. like just a little bit before James was in prison. And I remember being so amazed by the Lord in him rallying all of these people. Yes financially care for the Bauckham family. And I was just like, this is so amazing. And it blessed my heart so much. And then when James went to prison, I saw the exact same people stand up and take care of us. And so that was so encouraging. I got to tell him that story at G3, um, just to like, see the Lord, I'm going to bring you through something, but I'm going to, I'm going to walk through it with you by my people. So that, that encouraged our hearts more than anything, but it, it's been a constant, like dying to self. My kids have had to die to themselves. Like every Sunday, we don't know what to expect. We don't know if the police are going to be there. We don't know if he's going to get arrested um, because we, we are still gathering. So um, they really, I, I always say to my kids, like when, when James came to me and said, you know, jail possibility, um, I went into the bathroom and I got him all cleaned up from lunch and he went upstairs and I went into the bathroom and I said, Lord, if you're asking me for my marriage, here you go. Because I've always been taught to hold things with an open hand because everything that I have in my life is a stewardship and the Lord is going to give and the Lord's going to take away depending upon what glorifies him most. And so this has just been a time in their life where we're able to just train them for eternity. Like my, my youngest came home from grandma's house a couple of weeks ago or a week ago. And had said, grandma told me they're building concentration camps in Canada. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, like that, that's true. They, they're not called that they're called like, like uh, detention centers or something like that. Yeah. There, there will be detainment orders for people who are disobedient. Um, but I said, love, you got to let this world go. You got to like, then that's when the fear is gone. Because if you, the only thing that is really fearful is, is when you try to hold things really tight. Mm-hmm. You know, comforts, you're not wanting to be in pain, just, you know, a lot of times it is just your comforts, but you don't want to lose things. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it difficult. So I'm like, you hold everything in your life and just let it go. Like, just put it in your hand and let it go. Um, so it's been a time for us to really put into action with our kids what we've taught them for years. So, you know, for them, their dad wasn't doing anything different than he normally does. Like he was just being obedient. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that that's a huge testimony to them to see that their dad's not going to cave. And even if it's hard, you have to take a stand. So. Yeah. Amen. And yeah, it is, it's vital that we um, disciple our children and make sure that they understand persecution and that we are to die to ourselves daily and, you know, come what may, we have to stand for Christ, you know, and if it costs us of our, our lives, our jobs or whatever it is, we have to be ready for that. And so it's kind of bittersweet, you know, I'm, but I'm kind of grateful that we're going through this time with our children because my thought has always been, you know, um, everything that the Bible says about what the, the, end, the last days look like. And it's horrible, you know, and so um, and this is nothing compared to what's to come, you know, and so my thought would always be, you know, for making sure my daughter um, is prepared. But if I'm not here, what would that look like for her, you know? And so I'm kind of glad um, she's able to see it while I'm here, you know, and so that I can kind of 
continue to um disciple her and say yes and you know this this is coming to fruition you know because i don't see um in foreseeable future you know us being able to proclaim christ or go to church or you know do any of the way we're going to proclaim christ anyway but legally you know <laughs> um and so just really um like your son said making the most of our time because the days are evil we really really and truly do um need to stay the course and make the most of our time and make sure that we are discipling our children and getting them prepared for the days ahead um yeah. so, so thank you for sharing that um so what what role does the government um play regarding um the church or if any or when does it become overreach i should say yeah well we would say um the government's role is to is to bear the sword is to be an avenger of evil and to um really uphold the law of god in that like you punish the evil doer mm -hmm. um, so I would say where the government has jurisdiction in the church would be if there's civil matters, like if there's abuse or um, things like that, that have happened in the church, like that needs to be reported to the police. There needs to, they need to come in and our government needs to take care of that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the terms of worship, there is, there is no place for the government to dictate the terms of worship, just like it's not the church's responsibility to come into the home and tell your kids how to dress or when they're going to do certain things or how they're going to do certain things. So the government has authority and, and they're the, the servants of God. The word there in Romans 13 is that they're, they're, they're the deacons for the ministers of God um, and, and to, to bring justice when justice needs to be um, taken there. And I don't say it as well as James does. So he has those two sermons that you can go to the time has come uh, and then directing government to their duty. Cause he really explains the various spheres very well. Uh, and when government overreach happens, but the government does not have the permission to dictate the terms of worship. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. He's the head of the government as well. But when he mandates his people to do something like not to neglect the gathering of the saints and the one another's the preaching of the word and the public um, uh, reading of scripture. And uh, when we do the Lord's supper, that we are proclaiming his death until he comes. And one of the fruits of this spirit and, and, and a spirit filled life from Colossians three is that we are singing and making melody to one another uh, in our hearts towards God. And uh, so they do not have permission to dictate how we worship. Now we want to be wise, you know, this was the plague. <laughs> like there's, there's going to be things that our guys are going to do a little bit different, but still the government doesn't have permission to shut things down and then punish people um, for living according to the word of God and their conscience that's been formed by the word of God. So, you know, when they're taking leaders like there was one point where you weren't even allowed in people's homes. So like, and even now, if you're unjabbed, you are not allowed to have anyone in your home. Wow. So like someone from the church over, that's an illegal social gathering. Um, and so they, they're even coming into our home and telling us, no, you can't have Christmas dinner with your friends. You, you have, and, and they're finding people for it. So they, they're really just taking a jurisdiction that is not, theirs and uh, doing it all in the name of health. So when it comes to the church, uh, 
even our leaders do not have permission to close the doors to people who need to hear about Christ. That is not their job. They don't get to say who can come and who can't come. Amen. And what, what have been some of the, um, stories you've been hearing about, you know, or have you heard any stories or, um, reflections of people that were at home and their experience being at home and needing to come to worship? Have you had any? Oh yeah. Like there was one guy who said, Oh, do you mean like, um, stories of if people, if the church was not open, like, right. right. Oh, yeah. Um, there was one gentleman who said, like the sin in his life was so aggressive and he was fair, a fairly new believer. And he said, if pastor James and the leaders of grace life church did not keep the church open, I would have died because his sin would have overtaken him. But when he came every Sunday, he was seeing people who were um, pursuing holiness and encouraging him to stay the course. And so it was the church being open that, that kept him from falling into grievous sin. Uh, in another, in another instance, in a, in a, church of our friends, they were open, but there was a, there was some people that were obeying the government laws. And there was a mom and her son that fell into really grievous sin. Um, and, uh, and left the church for a while and just lived that sinful lifestyle because they didn't think it was okay to come to church. And that was devastating because that had awful consequences in their life. Um, and then we've had people just come Grace life is overflowing for a reason right now. And it's because people are really hurting. And uh, I remember early on, uh, there was a young girl who had not been to church in like 11 months and she walked in and she heard the singing and the word preached and she just wept. And she said, I didn't know how hungry I was. I didn't know how sick I had gotten. Mm -hmm. that's the thing when you're lukewarm or, um, when you're struggling in life, if you're not around other believers who are spurring you on to loving good deeds, you probably don't even know you've fallen into apathy. Um, that when you, you know, you fall asleep, sometimes you don't know that you've fallen asleep. So we've had just, yeah, tons of testimonies like that. People really struggling in their marriages, and they've had to leave the churches that they're at because they're just not willing to be open. And so they're coming to grace life um, and they're being fed. And, you know, that's that's so exciting, but so disheartening on the other hand, you know, because uh, you want to see these men be faithful. You want to see them faithfully shepherding their flock and um, feeding their sheep. But yeah, it's we there's so many, so many testimonies and lots of letters coming in from all around the world. I would say at G3, the number one comment that I get, I got besides the fact that you're way shorter in real life than we thought you were (laughs) was, you know, this really woke me up, Aaron. And, and it made me realize like, oh, this is coming to America. And would, how would I have dealt with this? Would I be faithful? Um, and so that was the number one testimony that we got that it was kind of jolting people awake to be like, oh, you know, I, I cannot be apathetic in my spiritual walk with Christ. I need to be pursuing him. I need to be in a local church. Um, yeah, lots of testimonies of people uh, going back to church because of our, our testimony and how the Lord used it. So that is just so incredibly exciting for us to be used in that way. Amen. So beautiful. And so what, like, what, what do you say to the churches now that are still closed 
in the name of health, you know, um, trying to or wanting to protect the the flock from getting sick, I guess you should say, um, and still not open since COVID started, you know? Yeah. And I, and I want to be really careful because, you know, I'm a woman addressing <laughs> probably male leadership. Um, but where's the line is kind of my thinking. Um, and that what kind of health are you more concerned about? Are you concerned about a virus or are you concerned about the spiritual health of your people that you will ultimately stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for, um, you're, you're watching over souls as a leader of the church. And that's a huge responsibility. Um, and I think it's just, uh, like, it's hard. It's really hard to watch, um, leaders put God's sheep in a position of being attacked by the enemy. And, uh, but you just kind of think, you know, we're 20 months into this. Is there ever going to be a point where you're like, okay, mm-hmm. let's, like, like, will the mandates for the jabs coming into churches, will that be enough for you? Oh, no, we're not doing that. Like, that's just too far. Um, so, yeah, I know my husband's at, my husband did, a, um, I think he did an interview with Founders Ministries and Tom Askell, and he was asked the same question, and, and he's a man, and he can say to the leaders. <laughs> I was. Um, and, uh, but he would call, he, I think he's at the point now where he's calling them to repentance. Yeah. Amen. And, and, and in that, like, when, when you know, the, the downside and, you know, saying, well, we are the church, you know, we don't need to, um, to gather because we are the church. We can stay on zoom, you know, the effects of that, you know, have you, have you, um, heard of it? Well, that, that was, you answered that question already pretty much, you know, about letting us know the effects of, you know, those that have come that, you know, have not been gathering how they felt and the difference that it has made in their lives. So, you answered that question. So, well, praise the Lord. And I thank you so much um, for coming on today and sharing your heart with us and your beautiful testimony of all that God has done and how God has tremendously to make an impact in so many lives, you know? And so I just praise the Lord for it. And God bless you. We'll continue to pray for you guys and your ministry and and if you will, for me now, will you share the gospel for the listeners and um, let anyone know if they choose to make a decision to uh, follow Christ, um, to that they can contact you or I? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing through this whole um, COVID season is a lot of us have realized that life is short and death is imminent. And so um, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you will meet him in judgment and your knee will bow to him and, and you will either bow in damnation for eternity or you will kneel in glorification for all of eternity. And each one of us knows um, that in our conscience and, and according to Romans 1 that we, we all know that, that God has revealed himself in creation Um, But so many of us who walk away from God have done that because we're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness and God made us for fellowship with him. He made us in his image and in the, in the garden, when he made Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were given a mandate and they obeyed that mandate. And then through Adam, sin entered into the world and therefore every man has sinned. And you can search your own conscience and know that you have sinned against the Lord. You have broken his law. Um, 
given that conscience for a reason, you know, you've lied, you know, you've done things that have dishonored him. And because he is perfectly holy, God requires perfection and you cannot and have not ever achieved that, not in your actions, not in your thought life. And one even thought that is, is sinful is enough to throw you into condemnation for all of eternity. And so you need someone to be in the position of perfection for you. And so God sent the second person of the Trinity, the son of God, um, God, the son into the world to put on human flesh. Uh, and he was born under the law. He was born of a virgin under the law. He kept the law perfectly in thought, word, and deed. Mm. And as he came to earth, his own people rejected him. They rejected him as their Messiah he showed them all of the miracles that they would have needed to see that testified to who he was. Um, and he was cruelly treated by people. He was beaten. He was the most marred man in history. Um, and that, that is not even an ounce of what he faced as he carried his cross to Calvary and uh, with his skin ripping from his body and, and people spitting on him and mocking him. Um, he went to the cross and on the cross, he faced the, the full fury of the wrath of God for the sin of those who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And so when he drank all of the wrath that was required for breaking the law, he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. And on the third day, he raised to newness of life, showing that he pleased and satisfied the demand of the father and, and the demands of breaking the law is death. Um, the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus Christ died on behalf of all of those who would ever put their faith and trust in him. And he is the only means of salvation. He is the only way to the father. Uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And to live for him could bring you great difficulty in this life. Um, but you will reap eternal reward and you will reap eternal joy of being his. And so I just plead with you to, to turn from your sin and put your faith in the full finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's fully man, fully God, true God, true man in the person of Jesus Christ. And he did everything that you need to stand before the father with fullness of joy. And if you don't do that, um, you will face his judgment. And ultimately what's so um, important in this life to gain the whole world yet to give up your soul, your soul, is the most valuable thing that you have. And even though it could be difficult in this life, living for Christ, you will win your soul back in eternity. Um, and it will be endless joy in his presence and perfect fellowship with him. And I just think, why would you ever reject that? Why would you ever want to turn from that, all of the, the sin and pleasure that you think is pleasurable in this life. It's not, it's not. And, and I think we can both say that because we've lived lives of sinfulness. It is nothing in comparison to the joy that uh, comes from being reconciled to the father and being given a new heart. And that's what, that's what he does. He takes your heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh and he gives you new desires and a new will. And you now can please him and you stand without guilt, without condemnation, because Christ took all of that on the cross of Calvary when he became that offering in your place. So he is the substitute. He's the only substitute and he is perfectly atoned for sins. There's no work left to do. And it's a gift. It's a gift from him. So. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs>
That's such a blessing. Always a blessing to hear the gospel. Uh, well, again, thank you so, so much, Aaron. And if you guys, if anyone um, has made a decision to follow Christ and um, he be Lord over your life, the best decision that you will ever make, um, you know how to get in contact with me in the show notes. Aaron, would you like to share your contact information? Yeah, you can. Uh, I am on Aaron Codes 80 on Instagram, or you can email me at womenofgrace at gracelife.ca. Uh, and kind of all our resources on are on our website as well. So that's gracelife at uh, gracelife.ca. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> awesome. Thank so you. Guys, I'm my, my church is essential. Hey, man. Look, so sure. do y'all sell those, um, that merchandise on your website? No, uh, a, a beautiful girl, Rachel at 10 and Co. is her. Oh. I can send you her, um, her handle. She made the special for me and I was wearing it home from G3. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the security, the security, are you there? I'm are here. There? Yeah. Okay, there. Officer, the border. And, and he goes, he goes, is the church really essential? And I said, yeah, it is. And he's like, no, it's not. <laughs> and I said, and then he's like, no, it's not. And I'm, I'm arguing with the border control. And then, and so I said, you know, I said, well, the church is the place you go. It's a people who have been redeemed by God. And what I should have said in that moment was it's so essential. Christ died for her. Right. And so, but I was like, the church is there. It's a people. And so the people, yes, like the gathering is essential. And then I'm realizing like, oh, this guy can deny me access. <laughs> so I was like, I better fire away. <laughs> Yes, I love it. Please send me the link to it. I'll put it in the show notes. So if anyone else wants it, um, they can get it because I love graphic tees because they're great conversation starters, you know, especially for the gospel, you know, so. Yeah, yeah so and this is hand stitched. So it's beautiful. Oh, wow. Nice quality. I have these strings tucked in, but yeah, it's, su- it's such a nice quality sweater. I love it. It's my new favorite. Okay. Well, yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Send that on. Send that link on to me. (laughs) But again, thank you so, so much for coming on, Erin. You have been such a blessing and I'm pretty sure you're a blessing to everyone else too. And I pray um, that someone um, has made a decision to follow Christ and we can get them plugged into a local church, a sound local church and get them discipled. All right. We have enjoyed you and uh, grace and peace to you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.